Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns and with us today we have got Anthony Fairs. Hi Anthony. Hi Michelle, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good to have you. Where are you joining us from today? I'm up in Newcastle. I'm currently in the estate agency office. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, is it snowing out there? Yes, it is still about three inches of snow outside, so it's nice and cold up here, but that's nothing unusual for the northeast. That's true, that's true. So if you listen to us in the summer, we're actually recording this um, on the 14th of December 2022, just before Christmas. So um, um, yeah, well, you're obviously in your letting agency there, um, and let's just start there. So you're in your agency, but you're also a property investor. Um, how does that work? How, how do you find that being in the agency and having that perspective is a huge kind of um, bonus for you or is it kind of it's completely separate? Um, I think everything with property moulds into one, doesn't it? So I suppose, yes, there's definitely some benefits. There's some cons to it as well, naturally. Um, I suppose one of the biggest pluses is in, in terms of the data. Obviously, in property data is a massive thing, and us being able to analyse where the market's at, where it's going. I don't have to wait for the right move index reports to come out once a month for the Savills reports to come out. Yeah. I can literally look at in this property we put on in the estate agent yesterday, and I can monitor the number of calls that have came in, the number of email leads on that, the number of viewings, and subsequently the offers as well. So I suppose from that side, it's a real positive because it... I really do have me kind of, you know, feet on the ground and an idea of what's going on out there. Um, and I can react quite quickly in amongst that. But then on the other side, um, I think everybody thinks I buy every property that comes in through the estate agents, which isn't true. Uh, they are conflicting things, but, you know, we have to be transparent. And if we were interested, we'd have to disclose that to the owners and things like that. But I've only ever bought one property through our own estate agent. So... Okay. In terms of a lead source, it actually hasn't been great. Um, but I think that's because what I buy for investment as opposed to what I sell through the estate agent, they're different parts of the market. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And we were just saying before we started recording how surprising it is that agents typically don't invest. They And, it, and I think it really dawned on me one day where I was like, oh, okay, so... Uh, you know these people kind of behind the desk they're you know just either selling they're just selling the properties but they're not actually investors themselves uh, they don't understand anything really to do with like creative finance or uh, creative buying creative deals uh, property education that kind of thing obviously I'm being general here I'm sure there are you know the odd 
odd few, but generally speaking, um, they're not familiar with it, not even aware that this property world exists, are they? I think one of the things is, and this is what I've explained to some of my kind of clients and students is, in terms of obviously estate agents, you know, and this is without again undermining them, they're essentially call centre staff. A lot of the times the negotiators in the office, they haven't even seen the properties. They, they don't have a clue other than what's on the system in front of them, which is no different to ringing up and trying to buy Sky, for example. So in that sense, yeah, I mean, your value as in the estate agent, they seem to be a bit more knowledgeable because they actually get to see properties and, you know, interact with owners and things. But it, it, I think things like the regulation of property agents that we're expecting to come in, the new legislation, which is going to mean you have to have a qualification to work in the industry. I think that's going to help as well because, yeah, I mean, I've worked for most of the agents in the northeast, and there is no real training. You're kind of given a list and said, ring them and see if they've got any houses to sell or rent. And it's like that you're literally chucked in at the deep end. I mean, other than a bit of, you know, property misdescription training, so you don't describe something incorrectly, there's not really a lot of structured training. And I think things like ROPA, when it is introduced, it will probably go a long way to, you know, levelling up the agents to the same level of knowledge that us as investors have. But I suppose they're going to work earning an hourly rate. We're investing our life savings. So we're naturally potentially going to be more educated. Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head before when you said it's a different market. And um, just to kind of, you know, I think for me, like the awareness of they are there for residential buyers primarily who are looking for their own home and that's the market they're dealing with. So they're not really dealing in the investment market where there's kind of below market value and uh, we're looking at ROI rather than yield um, and ways to add value. Um, you know, I remember in the early days, I went around the agents and I was like, okay, I'm looking for something to add value to. What have you got? You know, and they, you know, they said they had like one or two that needed a light refurb, but they just didn't understand the concept of adding value through planning gain or, um, you know, just increasing the foot space of the, you know, the, the floor plan or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So, so, and that's surprising, actually, you said that you've, you've only bought one through the agency but then I guess when you're just dealing with homeowners who just want they need the cash to move on to the next property I guess there aren't really many deals as we would look at them as investors through that market is that right yeah no you're, you're prob probably right in that and it's it's like you said there about the agent side of things what my one of my biggest bugbears when we're buying through the sourcing agency that I own is when we're ringing the agents up and we're registering for viewings and they're saying, okay, so what's your maximum budget? And we're like, well, there isn't one if the right <laughs> property's there. Well, what do you mean? So would you buy something for 800,000? Well, yeah, if it stacks up as a good deal, then we would. So you'd also buy a one-bedroom flat for 80,000. We're like, yeah, like, we'll look at any opportunity that's a HMO, holiday alert, value add, whatever it may be. But then again, the next thing you get through is kind of like a three-bed semi for 150000 at half the area I want to buy, and there's no value add. And it's like sometimes you are talking to a brick wall a little bit. But again, that's down to the training that they're giving it. So, you know, what can you expect? Absolutely. So, um, so if you're not buying through the agency, you know, through you know, the people who are coming through that side, how do you buy your properties? Um, a, a real, 
kind of variation, I suppose that's probably a massive positive, is the network that I've built through working as an estate agent. I mean, I've been in the business now 17 years, so you can imagine the guys I go to the football or to the pub and have a beer with, they're the same guys who work in the estate agent. So a lot of it's contacts, and there really is a little black book. You know, you do get called before other agents. So I think for us, a lot of it's the relationships with the agents. Um making sure we create a win-win with them. So as much as we own a letting agent and an estate agent, if we buy a property of an agent, we will often give that back to the agent to let out. Right. So they kind of earn two. I mean, instead of giving them a brown envelope, which is what people will suggest, no. this is a legal way of doing that. You know, you're giving them a little bit extra business, you know, which is, you know, transparent as opposed to under the table type things. So the first way is our relationship with the agents and making sure it's a win-win for all involved. Uh, but we've also started getting smarter in recent years and we do leaflet drops, but ours isn't the case of coloured envelopes and drop a full street in an area. We do it by targeting properties that have reduced in price, properties that have been on the market for so long, um, looking for something where it's a motivated seller, perhaps. Uh, the new one that we're running now is, so we've got a valuation tool within the estate agency running as a Facebook ad. But we're now starting to run that is from the investment side as opposed to from the agency side. So I think it's a little bit of everything. You've got to do the people side and pick the phone up and email the agents and let them know you're looking. Uh, secondly, you've got to be creative and you've got to look on Gumtree. You've got to look in the corner shop window. You've got to get out there and put leaflets through rundown properties. I think you've got to do everything these days, haven't you? The market's that busy. Yeah, absolutely. So when you call other, you see a property, you call another agent, are you calling as yourself? Or do you mention you've got an estate agency? So in, in the, so I mean, to give the listeners a, a bit of background, I've owned the estate agent now for best part of nine and a half years. And everyone knows us as an estate agent or locally anyway. Um, so at first, I think all the agents thought I was like a an undercover detective trying yeah. to steal our properties <laughs> yeah, to sell. Yeah. So I had it I had it really believe it or not, I probably had it harder than most because I was that competition. I mean the nearest agent's two hundred meters along the road. <laughs> and I would be ringing them up to view their properties. And it was only when I bought a couple and I got them under my belt through the agents that that started to kind of loosen off a bit and they weren't as cautious about booking me in for viewings in. You know, I was never going to try and take that property off them to sell because they would never ring me with the next deal. Yeah, I understood that that was their business, but that did kind of work against us a little bit early on. Yeah, fair enough. And so you mentioned before about the, you know, the relationship is like the most important thing there as well. So um, how does that work with, you know, the typical one is, let's say, for somebody looking for a rent to rent or rent to SA and, and they contact an agent and say, uh, I'm looking to, you know, uh, this type of property. I can see you've got one. Um, you know, that people struggle with, well, why should that agent sort of hand over a rent to SA because they're going to be losing it off their books? So what kind of things could people do in terms of, because, you know, that agent will be losing out on a commission, presumably. Do you, how, how much typically, I've always wondered this, would agents get for commission for, you know, for, for kind so of... For, I'll give you I'll give you a bit of context on on kind of the agent side of things. So a lot of the fees that we made were from tenant finders fees. So we charged the tenant and administration fee for their reference checks. 
and we'd also charge the owner a letting fee for finding and referencing the tenant. So it was kind of like half the fee came from the tenants, half came from the vendors or the landlords, should I say. But then the government decided to ban um, tenant fees. Yeah. So that meant the, the onus was now on, we had to charge the landlord the full rent instead of kind of splitting it between the two, which was quite fair. Um, so one of the things that can be an advantage for you now is what a lot of agents don't actually realise, and again, this comes down to that lack of education, they can actually take an admin fee from a tenant when it's a company let. So actually, if you want to make the agent more money than what they were going to, offer them an admin fee. Okay. And, you know, a typical admin fee would probably be anywhere from half a month's rent up to a full month's rent plus VAT. So as long as you can factor that in on your, in, in on your numbers and it doesn't affect the return, that's going to give you a massive advantage because the other nine or ten people who are interested in renting it probably haven't offered the agent an admin fee. So that's the right. first thing. Secondly, is that just I a one-off ad, admin fee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I mean, what I would say is if they're currently managing the property, most agents own, earn anywhere from 5 to 15% of the rental income per calendar month right. as an ongoing management fee. Just ensure that they still get that. Make sure that the owner still uses them to manage it because you want to build your relationship with the agent and you can't do that if they don't manage the property. Yeah. So it, from that side definitely look after the agent second part and this was something that used to frustrate me as in an agent the amount of colored envelopes coming through the door and the amount of emails coming through look it's it's very proactive and it's great but what we found was people aren't actually being as transparent as they maybe need to and when most agents don't actually understand what a rent to rent is they're seeing five-year company letting they're literally chucking the letter in the bin in a lot of cases so you've got to educate these agents as well and explain to them what it is you do and where the benefits are. Explain to them that you'll do the little bits of maintenance. You won't be hassling them for it. Explain that, you know, you can pay three months rent up front if, if that, you know, satisfies them that they've definitely got their rent. Um, let them do monthly inspections instead of three or six monthly for the first three or four months. So you've got to try and allay or reduce the fear that the agent has. Because they've also got to go and sell you to the landlord. So I think sometimes being open and upfront and saying, look, you know, the plan with this property is we're going to rent it. We're going to do a little bit of cosmetic work on it. We're going to furnish it and we're going to rent it out using Airbnb and Booking.com. You'll find some agents will just completely rule it out. But others like us, where we understand what it is, we would be susceptible to having that conversation. We'd actually put it to the client because... We can't withhold that offer from the client also. You know, you're a genuine interested party in that property. We just got to weigh up the pros and cons for the landlords when we're presenting what you're offering. So I think being open and honest up front is good because, I mean, we've all seen the horror stories of people doing rent, SA, et cetera, where, you know, they've took a property in a block and it's not permitted and things like that. So I think just starting off with a bit of honesty and trying to build that relationship and, you know, let them know that you're trustworthy and, you know, you've been open and transparent from day one and they don't find this out the day you move in. You know, when guests turn up at the same time as you're turning up to give them the keys, then what you'll find is they'll end up coming to you with deals because they'll end up knowing what you're looking for. So it can work in your favour that way as well. You've just got to kind of sift through which agency you can and can't work with. Yeah, I think typically, like my experiences is being more independent agents are more open and the ones that are just the high street agents they've got you know the procedures and the policies to follow and it's hard for them to deviate off 
off that um is that your is that your thinking as well yeah, I think so because again, there's a, there's a lot more leeway in, when you're dealing with your big corporate agents. It's a lot more structured and processed, uh, yeah. and again, it's so that anybody can come in and do the job really and follow a tick sheet. Whereas when you're an independent and you know you're struggling to pay right move two and a half thousand pound plus about every month, then they're more open minded to a deal and they're particularly more open minded to that admin fee. Yeah, that's true. And in terms of who people should speak to within the agency you know if it's if they're looking to kind of do this for the first time is it you know the first person at the you know as they walk in or should they be trying to speak to the owner um is that better in a conversation or better by email i would say in person personally um i mean if it was me and i was looking to you know venture into a specific area I'd be going in with, you know, a couple of boxes of milk trade, just getting me face known. And, you know, people don't want to just turn you away if you've got a gift there for them, even if it is a pound box of chocolate. But ideally, the best people to speak to are people like the valuers, because the valuers have probably spoken to the owners. Uh, they'll know whether they're more susceptible to deals, offers, etc. cetera, um, whereas the office based staff, maybe not. So you've got to try and catch the valuer in. Just look on their desk. You'll always see a laser in a camera. If you see that, you know which one's the value ahead for their desk because they're going to be the best ones to be in touch with. And, I mean, we've even got it as far now where, and, and again, this is strange how it's come full circle. My competition in the estate agent, those agents ring me when they're actually on evaluation and they say, I've got someone who will come around and view it literally right now. And that's their way to get the owner to sign the contract with them by them getting a viewing. And that's me going around viewing it. Right. So actually, okay. so actually, I'm now doing them a favour, helping them get the listings. Right. Okay. So again, just building that rapport. And there's there's a way where you can work together. And, you know, one of the big things, like with our agency, is we're moving away from traditional sales for Joe Blogs because we might sell his house, but we'll probably never do any more business with him for another seven to ten years and by that point you can't remember who sold his house mm. even though I got him 10,000 over asking price so we're trying to work more with landlords and investors who are constantly investing because there's multiple fees to be had and it's worth putting the time into that relationship because you never know what will come up or what listens they're going to get or what price reductions they're going to get so it's worth putting the time into people like that yeah do you find people coming into your agency and trying to pitch to you like a rent to rent or is it, you know, it seems to be when you're in the poverty education world, it seems like everyone's doing it. Um, and I think agents are becoming more aware of, you know, the, these ideas like service accommodation and uh, rent to rent lease options, um, even if they're not, you know, they don't fully understand. Uh, it seems like there's more people kind of getting out there these days. Oh, it's, it's it's definitely something that's that's becoming more relevant and that people are aware of. And I think it's probably since COVID as well. Um, you've actually got a lot of agents now who manage essays in-house. So I've never known any agent really do that until the last year or two. And it's something we've tied with as a company ourselves. Um, so I definitely think they're getting more open-minded as to the different strategies and things. But yeah, it's it's great when someone comes in and they've come, you know, straight off a training course and they're coming in, they're giving you the pitch and stuff, and you kind of don't want to interrupt them because you're like, I don't want to harm the guy's confidence or anything. 
But then for us, it's like a case of, right, okay, well, you know, if we're open to it, it has to be legal. It has to be permitted in tenancies and, you know, within their mortgages and insurances. And it's got to be done correctly. Um, but what I would say, the massive tip is try to stand out. The amount of these coloured envelopes we used to get, I mean, it's phenomenal. And the reason why is it's because they send it out of the HMO list. Yeah. We were registered for about 50 different properties. So the amount of letters coming through is unbelievable. I tell you what it is, there's all colours of the rainbow and envelopes. There's some beautiful colours out there. But you need to make the difference. And I mean, I've seen a couple where the dad spilled coffee over the envelopes. That was a really good one because that definitely caught me eye. And a couple of them had like burnt the corners of the envelopes up. So that definitely caught we're right to make sure we opened that letter. But we actually get quite a lot of success ourselves through things like the HMO register. And that's by personalising it, by putting things like what picture on so that people can relate to it a bit. Whereas I think a lot of people try and just send the message out. And I think you've got to try and stand out a little bit because there is a lot of us deploying the same methods to try to get these rent to rents and rent to HMOs and deals from owners on market and stuff yeah and is it a case that uh people who are consistent stand out more even if it's still a green envelope um or does that just not get opened have they still got to do no, something i mean i mean ultimately yeah they, they all get opened but it's right. kind of like i think particularly when you're in an agency side we get so many of them yeah and i've met hmo landlords who've actually said your letter was just different to the ones i've been receiving which is why i responded so our open rate and response rate is probably much higher than what others are, but it's because we're unique and we think outside the box. So, for example, at the moment, I mean, I'm probably sharing my secrets. <laughs> that so. was good. I didn't um, want to ask what you were going to offer, so. It's all right. No one in the northeast can listen to this, by the way. You'll have to edit this part out for anyone in the northeast downloading. <laughs> but we actually have been playing on people's pain points a little bit, and we've been using, for example, the energy crisis to try to get some rent to HMOs but where we think they'll work as a rent to SA. So again, you know, everybody's always saying, you know, do you want us to manage your property five-year agreement, guaranteed, no voids, et cetera. But it was, we didn't put any of that on. We just said, are you concerned about the energy bills here? And have you had an up-to-date valuation? So we didn't actually go for the rent to rent, but we've agreed a couple of rent to rents, but we pitched it from the energy angle. So just look at what's current at the moment. So you could be sending letters out right now so, you know, you're worried about an increase in interest rates because that's what makes them think, God, I hadn't even thought about that. And that's what makes them have a conversation with you. So if you can get them to pick the phone up to you, that's off the battle. Yeah, absolutely. Just so don't copy and paste from a template you found on Facebook. Or something. Yeah, it's all been there. It's fine. But, you know, and keep it current, yeah. Yeah. OK. And so you've obviously got a unique angle in that you are seeing sort of a 360 kind of angle you know from your investor point of view from the agency and uh, and, and the sourcing letting etc so what what are you noticing at the moment what trends are happening you know sort of on the ground obviously we've got all the kind of scare stories uh you know from the papers but how how are you finding things with rents and demand so in term, in general terms, what I would say is we do still have a massive undersupply of properties, particularly in, you know, in my area, I would say we're one of the lower cost of entries. Demand is far outstripping supply. That is on the sale side as well as the rental side. Uh, on the sale side, we are starting to see quite a lot of down valuations, but I would argue that's probably more 
the prices that were agreed first time round were pretty high, you know, and probably a bit unrealistic. Um, to give you an idea, we just had a property which was on for two ten. We thought it was sell for two hundred to two ten. It sold for two thirty. It's been down value to one eighty. Now again, I do think the one eighty is really, really low. It probably should be around the two hundred mark, and it's going to be, you know, appealed. But there's a lot of down valuations happening. I just think that's maybe a bit of fear from the surveyors or the lenders side at the moment. So be conscious of your down valuations on any, you know, buy, refurb, refinance projects, etc. Uh, rents are absolutely mad. This is the first time in my career where rental properties are like sales, where we're actually getting offers for the properties, not just saying, yes, I'd like to take it. Mm. We're getting people offer over asking price rents. Yeah. They're also offering six or 12 months rent up front. Yeah. So rents are going to continue to fly up in the near future. I mean, I think I read something around 20% the next few years. I'd be very surprised if it's not more than that. Um, Properties that we were traditionally renting out for six fifty are going for a thousand pound here, mm-hmm. and they're going for a thousand pound with a queue of people wanting to take it as well. So it's it's crazy. Do you manage HMOs for other people or just your own portfolio? Yeah, so we we manage HMOs for clients as well. Right. Uh, on that side, we're finding in terms of the student market, uh, there's a lot more purpose built stuff for them now, where they get their own toilet and the shared gyms and cinema rooms. So. HMO is going through a bit of a change as well, and that it's more aimed at, I think, professionals now who, you know, for example, in our area, they might rent a room in a, in a house share for maybe £450, £500 a month, but that'll include utilities and bills. Yeah. Uh, whereas, a, you know, a two-bed flat might cost them £1,000, including their bills. So I think people are conscious of what they're spending so they can save to buy as well. So the HMO market's definitely gearing more towards your professional house shares than it is your student market than that it's maybe been traditionally right okay and uh i think a lot of people's biggest fear before they get into the hmo market is it's saturated like in every area would you say that um i think i think the the, the normal rean- answer to that is well it's saturated but the sort of lower quality end do you think it's so sort of, you know where is the quality now are, are they more kind of um you know is there more stock at the higher end how how's that so i, I think i think in general still yeah your hmo stock in general is of average quality you, you've still got the nasty older furniture and things it's i think it's towards more the student market which a lot of the hmo stuff is but what you're finding is they're the guys who struggle to fill the rooms each year and as it's getting harder and harder, they're the ones who are selling up and getting out because maybe they've owned them for 20, 30 years and they didn't really have to put much standards into them in order to secure other tenants. Whereas the sort of HMOs that I've got in my own portfolio, ours are catering towards professionals and we're getting almost double the price per room than what the others are on the street. But that's because there's a splash of colour in there. It's good quality furniture. We've got Netflix and Sky and things in for them. So we're actually treating the person more like a guest or a customer than we are just our five students who are going to, you know, split the rent between them. It's actually a product we're offering now. And I think that's where we're still undersupplied. The HMO quality in our area isn't still great across the board. Um, it is in certain areas, but not in others. But again, I think that that's in a period of transition at the moment from being student, tired properties to being aimed at professionals. 
yeah that makes sense and so you said you um take on rent to rent yourself as well so um how are you finding the numbers and you know making sure it stacks given the increased energy costs and that's everything else it's tough it's tough at the moment um I think where we probably find it harder than maybe others across the country is the relatively low prices here. Yeah. Um, that that's probably one of the issues for us. So rent at SA is working better than maybe what rent at HMO is. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where we're focusing. We're trying to, you know, find properties around, you know, regeneration spots where we know there's going to be a good influx of builders and trainees yeah. um, and trying to, you know, do a rent at SA on those as opposed to the rent to HMO, which was what we traditionally used to focus on, right. uh, because the returns are probably a bit better and the energy costs are lower. Yeah, that's a good point. So if you're um, repurposing it for service accommodation, then um, are you just targeting contractors or are you mixing it up and have, ha having holiday lets in there as well? So I'll tell you one of the things we're doing that's a bit different than most people, and this is probably a really good tip for people, don't just think of it as, targeting one person you need to have a plan a b and c so our plan a is tradesmen and contractors staying monday to friday what plan b is weekend stays because newcastle's a tourist destination still and what plan c is we're aiming towards for example there's a lot more people buying new build houses now i don't know if that's the same in your area and they're having to wait for the house to be built but their buyers are impatient and want to be in yesterday yeah. So we're finding we're doing a lot of kind of two or three month lets to people while they wait for their house to be built. Right. So and we're getting really good. We're getting essentially one guest for three months and earning the same as if we had multiple changeovers. So we actually, and this is one of the benefits of having the agency, we actually list our SA properties on the likes of Zoopland Rightmove right. to target the one month to three month stays. So we've got the four to five nights, which is your trades. We've yep. got the weekend stays, but then we've got the one to three months, which is either foreign students coming over on exchange programmes or it's typically homeowners who are waiting for new builds to be built. And I don't see a lot of people doing that either. Yeah, there isn't really anywhere. You know, There's not an obvious website. I mean, obviously, you've got Airbnb and Bucket.com, but that tends to be for, you know, just nightly stays or short term, mm -hmm. a week or so, but not for that kind of longer stay, couple of months. And in that case, would you um, cover the utilities council tax, or would they open? Yeah, yeah, we st we, st we still we still do it on that way. What we've done is we don't just list it on our property portals. We also list it on the likes of spare room. Yeah. And what we found is people re because of the legislation, anybody even if you do a one month tenancy, they're legally entitled to six months. So the problem is, is a lot of agents, again, because they're not educated, just won't do a let for a month or two months. So it's a good gap to fill because, if, for example, for us in Newcastle, there's a lot of uh, Erasmus students, they're called. They come over on a placement for two to three months at a time and they cannot get anything through an estate agent for love or money. Yeah. It doesn't matter what they offer. They offer six months rent up front, still can't get them. Whereas we're filling that. There's a gap in the market there and that's yeah. what we're probably catering for. So... What we thought was going to be a tradesman weekdays, you know, Mr. and Mrs. coming for a weekend is now turned into three students just coming here for three months. So actually it's, it's lower in where, you know, where costs of, you know, the transaction on booking.com and Airbnb, 
it's yes. reducing the kind of the cleaning cost, the yeah, linen, yeah. etc. cetera. So, yeah, yeah. so it's not always about maximising the profits. Sometimes it's about minimising what your outgoings are. And that's one of the ways we found quite handy, especially in the winter months where it's a bit harder to rent them out. And how do you uh, work the contracts out on that then? So it's not an AST then, it's a like a licence or? Yeah, it's basically a licence to occupy so they don't have the legal yeah. you know, rights and obligations that you would have under an AST. Obviously, naturally, we still you know, comply with the legislation for gas, electric, yeah. smoke alarms, carbon monoxide, etc. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it um, sounds like you're covering all bases there then. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like you're really busy as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it always is. Yeah, and how are you kind of how how do you juggle, you know, being an investor and you know agency owner, and sourcing company, um, and just you know your own personal life? How does how does that um, how are your kind of systems set up and everything? Are you kind of just working around the clock because it's you know you're looking to kind of get to a goal or you just love the hustle of it? Um, Oh, you've got lots of systems in place uh, and you're working a four hour work week, right? I, I, I think it's a bit of everything there. Uh, I mean, anyone who, out there, you have to read things like the four hour work week and the one thing. They are game changing podcasts yeah. and books to read, but it's a bit of everything. So, I mean, obviously, you know, one of the best bits of advice I, I received was to only change one thing at a time that you're doing well. So I was a very good valuer for an estate agents. Then I was a very good valuer for my own estate agents. Then instead of, you know, valuing properties from the investors, I started buying them for myself instead of for the investor. So one thing changed at a time. So it went from me valuing houses to sell for a one-off fee for an agency to now I'm buying them for myself. And that's only by changing one thing at a time. So a couple of years back, it was January the year COVID hit. I actually replaced myself in the agency with a valuer and a manager to do my role so that I could invest full time. Uh, and very doesn't know I bought 34 properties in 36 months. So I was pretty busy. Um, but what happened was I went to Cheltenham in the March for the horse racing. I came back and that's when COVID hit and the agency shut down. We weren't allowed to do valuations and it was awful because I thought the business could go under here. But it actually turned out to be an opportunity because I got to speak to a lot of our existing landlords and they were asking us what I had been doing. And I was explaining what I'd been buying. So the sourcing company actually grew quite organically. Because they were saying, well, you're buying better than what I can buy. Will you buy me one and I'll pay a fee? So that's how that started to grow. Um, and I very much value the people in the systems and things in place. So Antonia, for example, who works with me, she's a director in the estate agents and the sourcing company. Uh, so she takes a lot of the, she probably sorts the weaknesses out that I have. I'm really poor with administration was give her a list and a pile of paper and it's gone the next minute before you know it. Whereas for me, it'll still be there two weeks later. So we kind of balance each other out a little bit in that sense, but very much it's down to the systems and processes we have in place and continually training and, you know, making sure we're better versions of ourselves tomorrow than what we are today, really. Absolutely. So what's next then? Christmas? Retire, maybe. No, so this year was trying to get a bit of balance back in my life. Um, it's the first year where I haven't had financially motivated goals. It was all around, you know, health and well-being, really. So I've got a personal trainer uh, every morning at nine o'clock now. So I've dropped a bit of weight this year. Uh, the plan was to have every Friday off to start to get the work-life balance back because 
I did have to be in a period of imbalance for so many years in order to get to where I am today. I've neglected friends, family, you name it. Uh, so now it's about trying to go the other way and go more life than work. So I've done that, but then I decided this year, uh, I actually had two weeks off of burnout in February, believe it or not. So I decided that I needed to reflect and, you know, and it's something I do every year. Uh, so I shut my waste management company down. I made the decision to move out of sales in the estate agency to focus on the investment side. Uh, so I kind of tried to consolidate a little bit this year so that I was focusing on what was kind of important, um, which was kind of me and looking after myself because I've been running on adrenaline since I opened, I think, nine and a half years ago. Yeah. And it's starting to run out. So next year, it's probably about getting that balance, keeping that balance, trying to get back to the four day week. Um, once we've got a, a new team in place in the sourcing company and trying to kind of slowly step away from the businesses um, while Antonia takes over, really, so that I can focus more on me joint venture partners in the bigger projects that we have going, such as the new builds and the holiday lets and the HMOs that we have ongoing. Um, that's probably where I'm headed. Yeah, that's um, it, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I think a lot of people go through that same journey of, you know they're investing and they build a business and then they need you know they realize they've achieved that goal of the financial freedom um but then it's the time freedom is the next goal so it's uh, investing in property then buying your time back um is uh is, is, is a lot for most people and obviously focusing on the lifestyle as well and you know that's what we're doing it all for right is uh you know i i understand about you know the hustle as well and i think there's you know a place for that but also you know you, you can't do burnout forever you can't um there's got to be some balance to it right yeah no you're, you're completely right and I mean it's it's different for me because obviously I came into property you know straight out of school and you know done my degree in property etc whereas most people choose this as kind of, of a route out of work whereas I've come yeah. into this as my route to work but again it's it's that thing people who tend to enter into property try to create an additional job for themselves yeah. And the need to just understand the power of outsourcing. I mean, I can only move as quick as I can move because I try to do as little as possible. But again, it's that thing about buying your time back. My mom still doesn't understand why I have a cleaner. She doesn't understand why I have a gardener. She doesn't understand that my hourly rate is more than what theirs is. And I'm losing money by cleaning my own house. As stupid as that sounds. Um, so, you know, for some people, it'll just, they'll just never get their head around it. They're from different kind of times yeah. and what have you. So, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's it, yeah, it's true, yeah. And, uh, I interviewed Josh Keegan, I'm not sure if you know him, and he was talking about this and he said, his answer, his mum was saying, you know, we, we haven't all got an assistant. And he was like, well, I can, I've only got an assistant because I've got an assistant. Like if I didn't, like... I've only got a cleaner because um, if I haven't got a cleaner, then I wouldn't be able to afford to, I wouldn't be able to do all the things I could do without that cleaner because then yeah. like, that's me buying my time back. But um, you know, one of the things I've done that was a massive mistake, I actually hired a PA last year and I realized by hiring a PA, I actually decided that I took, I took more on by getting a PA instead yeah. of doing less. Yeah. So I made the mistake of, you know, setting things like the waste management company up when I, what I should have been doing was focusing more on getting some of my time back. That's really important. Myself, yeah. I made myself a busier fool, unfortunately. Well, that's it. You know, you, we don't want to buy our time so we can fit more in. We want to buy our time back so we can be more effective at what we're doing. And uh, 
and doing the right things but I think that just comes like you say reflecting and um, sometimes you have to go kind of to the extreme and over the border just to kind of realize well this isn't this isn't where I'm going to go and then come back again um, so yeah great well um, that's probably a good place to wrap up it's been um, really interesting to talk to you and get all those different angles and uh, where you're at the market at the moment so where can people find out more about you and what you're up to so I'm across all social media. If you search Anthony or Tony Fairs, I'm quite easy to find. Right. Well, we'll put the links to those in the show notes and we look forward to seeing what's next for you. Thank you very much, Michelle. Appreciate the invite. No worries. And for everyone else who is not yet a subscriber to the magazine, please click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial. 